this episode, I welcome Adam Binzian, CXO of Edge Impulse. Okay, to start off, let's talk about you. Can you introduce yourself, tell us what you do, and where you are located? Great. Hi, Kate. Good morning. Uh, so uh, my name is Adam. I work at Edge Impulse, and I am located in rainy but beautiful Seattle, Washington. Awesome. Okay, so how old were you when you first got in technology? I think that I was in my mid-20s um, that I really got into technology as a professional, but I always loved computers and tinkered with them and loved playing games and doing all sorts of stuff as a kid. So a lot of us have done this really through childhood. But, um, you know, really, I think the internet was the most exciting thing for a lot of us, and a lot of us got into it as professionals. So I would say sometimes in my mid-20s, it was really a passion for me, and I haven't stopped since. Awesome. Okay, so now let's dig deep in, into how technology and conservation are working together. So what is Hackster? Cool. So while I do work for Edge Impulse now, I was the CEO and co-founder of Hackster uh, for about seven years. And Hackster is a large developer community. It's about 1.6 million developers from all over the world. Literally every country is represented on Hackster. It's an open source project repository for people who can build anything and everything, anything from an Arduino board or Raspberry Pi with machine learning, artificial intelligence and, and home automation and everything in between. But the cool thing about Hackster is that everything has to be open source. No matter what project you're going to post, it's going to be shared with the greater good with everybody in the world for replication, learning, etc. So it's not about business or patenting anything. It's really about sharing information and learning for everybody. Wow, Hackster sounds really cool. Okay, so now, now where you work now, so what is Edge Impulse? And specifically when you say Edge, what do you mean? Cool, so Edge Impulse, so Interesting enough that I, I knew the people that have started actually Edge Impulse, and I was even an investor in that company uh, years and years ago. Uh, but when Edge Impulse started, it started really solving a problem uh, in what people call embedded computing and data-driven engineering. That um, in the world, we have billions and billions of tiny devices. This is an Arduino board, and on top of it is a tiny little MCU. Um, which is really a microcontroller. And there are like billions of these microcontrollers in the world right now. They're running our light switches. They're in our cars, they're in our coffee makers, in all sorts of industrial uh, and also conservation devices. And it's really hard to program them. And it's in particularly, it's hard to set instructions on them to tell them what to do, to tell them that if a if, if you detect the temperature of something that went below a certain level, they should do something about it. If they see through computer vision, uh, something that shouldn't be in a certain place, they should do something about this. So it's all about giving a little brains to these devices and a set of instructions in devices that typically have almost no memory and almost no power. Sometimes they even connected to batteries, so they can be connected to say the electrical grid uh, or constant uh, power supply. So every time you use them, they deplete energy, they run out of memory, and that's what Edge Impulse does. We can actually uh, create really these compressed algorithms of machine learning and tell these devices things that they should do at the lowest energy consumption and the lowest memory um, um, you know, space, et cetera. So that's what Edge Impulse does, really make devices a lot smarter. 
Wow. And I know when you're talking about computer vision, I'm actually learning computer vision right now because a part of Club 15 is getting to learn computer vision and t teaching your computer how to tell the difference between an apple and a banana. And, and you know, once you know how to build computer, once you know the basics of computer vision, you can build it. And this is no different than, you know, a camera trap identifying a poacher on the wild, like you're talking about with that little machine right there. That's really cool. Okay. So I heard you reached out to Sarah Mastin, founder of Project 15 from Microsoft, when you're thinking about a big hackathon for elephants. Can you tell us about Project 15? Can you tell us about Project Elephant Edge? Sure, you bet. Um, yes, and it is somewhat related to Sarah's work. Um, so I think uh, kind of like you, Kate, a lot of people, you know, you some, I think that most people or all people in the world love nature and love wildlife. And we all grew up with it, whether it's a, it's a documentary that we watched as children or it's a Disney film. So I think it's a universal truth to say that everybody likes wildlife, right? Uh, but, but then there's a difference, right, between uh, how people react to it. So you at a young age became, you moved from being a spectator, somebody who sits on the couch and watches Netflix and say, oh, there's, these animals are so nice. So going to a safari with your parents, taking pictures and saying, oh, look at those nice elephants. They're so cool. Uh, to become an activist and say, no, I'm going to actually move myself from just watching how things happen in the world and starting to change things that happen in the world. So I think much like you, I was also somebody who loves animals. And as I got older, uh, you know, I started making changes in my own life. For example, maybe... I don't know, reducing my own meat consumption to nearly zero for the love of animals alone. Or uh, as I start earning money, contributing uh, some, you know, amounts of my income to all sorts of animal conservation organizations, etc. And, 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 you know, joining PETA and, and when social media became social media, talking about this, sharing my opinions about, you know, degradation of wildlife and the environment and in particularly uh, animals. And then, unlike you, uh, beyond uh, paying with my visa and caring about this, it took me many, many years to actually make real impact, you know, and I've tried several times in my life to, to you know, join all sorts of organizations and, and really kind of becoming more of a, an activist versus the spectator that I've mentioned. Um, and, but, you know, the good news, uh, I, I did finally land on something really interesting so uh, about a year and a half ago, I was in Amsterdam at an event, a tech event, and I, uh, you know, I was walking in tech events, you see all these booths and people are doing all sorts of cool stuff. And I ran into a small booth uh, of a company organization called Smart Parks. It's a Dutch based uh, organization of actually two people that in their life story is very similar to yours, Kate, um, while they're, these are two guys in their thirties, they also grew up, you know, going to Africa as children, you know, at the young age and they also start seeing as they kept going back every year the degradation of the things that i've seen a year before that and they chose to change their entire lives and and, and dedicate their entire careers uh to preserving um you know all these animals that are being you know moved into like an endangered status or even extinct status unfortunately and they are have worked on creating wildlife trackers uh that could be colors they could be things that get embedded in a rhino's uh, horn uh with a little whisker which is an antenna and all sorts of technology and they have they have a whole portfolio of wildlife trackers and 
you know, I was there for business and all the noise of all the business around me kind of became really quiet. And all I want to do is to hang out with these guys and learn about what they do. And I asked them, what would it, what would you need uh, for me if I, if I could actually gather a bunch of resources for my network and help create um, something new. And they said, well, we have this vision. We want to create a really smart elephant tracker that has machine learning and AI built in that has an extremely long battery life up to eight years. Uh, that is extremely rugged and also has uh, the longest range uh, ever made for, for an elephant um, tracker. So they had this kind of wild vision. We want to create the best thing in the world. And they also said, we want to open source it, meaning we want to share everything we've learned and built that anybody else can go and copy and do it themselves. So I said, okay, give me a few months and let me see what I can do. And at that point, because of um, my position in the industry and I know so many people, I start calling companies like Nordic Semiconductor, Western Digital, which does a lot of storage and memory, uh, hard drives. Uh, Microsoft, that's how I started working with Sarah. I was very inspired by everything she's done. And, and notice how also like Sarah or me, I mean, Sarah did things in a lot bigger way, but it really doesn't matter. It's more about we all have a passion and one day we have a trigger. And in the, that trigger says, I, I can do more than caring. Caring is nice, <laughs> but it doesn't help when an elephant gets poached or uh, even beside poaching, as, as you know, Kate, a couple of years ago, um, about 300 elephants died by drinking uh, water that had this, was infested with some bacteria um, and, and they all died from that, which, is, which was a bigger devastation than, than poachers that year uh, for the elephant population. I believe it was in Botswana. So uh, scientists and, and park rangers have so much to track and help these animals um, that it's beyond just the poachers. And long story short, because I know I'm talking a lot about this now, we did get a lot of amazing companies, like as I mentioned, uh, Nordic Semiconductor, Microsoft, Western Digital, uh, Avnet, um, and a bunch of other companies came together and they gave money, gave the technology, gave the know-how, and we raised all the funding we needed. We even did a big contest on Hackster, and we told all of our developers, hey, we're building this amazing product, thing called Elephant Edge, and we want to you guys are the community to build machine learning models for to detect what elephants are doing, to detect what do they do when they move their feet and raise dust? What do they do when they run at a certain pace that is maybe abnormal to how they should be running? Um, can we add a camera for computer vision to detect things that shouldn't be there? And doing all sorts of stuff. Um, and the community came through in a huge way and built amazing things and amazing models and telemetry uh, um, dashboards and all sorts of stuff. And that's how the project came to be. And now uh, in 2021, everything is kind of done and we're getting ready to ship 10 finished collars that will be deployed on real elephants this year in a selected um, group of parks in Africa through Smart Parks. And all of this was funded by all these um, sponsors and partners <clears throat> and was built by one of our partners in Europe called IRNAS, which specializes in uh, wildlife um, conservation trackers. And it's, it's, I mean, I couldn't be happier that just simply by meeting people and talking to them and seeing the spark in their eyes to go and say, I can help you. And we did this entire year and a half of a life cycle of uh, product design, development, 
and now it's in a finished product. It's really just being tested. So that's, that's the story of Elephant Edge. It's been really awesome. So Adam, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the release of these amazing cars for the elephants, you know, how it's going to happen? Sure. So right now, um, you know, um, it's really late May 2021. We're finishing the testing of the final products, meaning the products have been encapsulated in this really hardened piece of plastic on top and this thick piece of metal that sits on the bottom in a really um, thick and rugged uh, leather kind of color that goes on top of the elephant's neck. It weights about 50 kilograms, you know, um, you know, we're using kilograms because it's going to Africa and they're not using our units here in the US pounds. And this should be done, the testing literally by the beginning of the summer. And then uh, also a lot of things got delayed as you can imagine because of COVID, but we are anticipating that in the fall of 2021, that these units will arrive in Africa with smart parks and they will start the testing and deployment on a few of the elephants, you know, and again, we made fully finished 10 colors, uh, which were again, fully paid for. And so we expect that around fall time uh, after everything's getting tested and the park rangers are going to get trained on how to use these new modern colors, it's going to get deployed. Wow. I think this project sounds incredible and I have a very special place in my heart for cars because they're saving so many animals, not just elephants, cheetahs, red pandas, tigers. So I think this project is incredible. Okay. So now can you explain what tiny ML is? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So machine learning in general is the ability to really, you know, um, in, in the context of hardware is embed some sort of a code that really gives instructions to a piece of electronics. It could be a, a microcontroller, which is a small, really microchip, all the way up maybe to uh, a, a GPU, a general processing unit, which is a lot bigger and has a lot more computational power. It gives it instruction to do all sorts of things that are almost replicating uh, a human brain and a neural network of thinking correlating information, making autonomous decisions on its own. This is how Tesla is able to do uh, all sorts of autonomous experiences with their cars, how drones can fly autonomously and find locations of homes, maybe deliver packages, etc. Really important for robotics, etc. So, um, but, but in general, this kind of uh, machine learning field requires a lot of data, a lot of computational power and uh, a lot of also memory and space. So this requires, this, for example, the laptops we use, they use big CPUs, you know, um, that really run, have all the capacity to do all these smarts. But what happens is when you use, as I mentioned earlier, these tiny devices, and I probably have so many more of them over here. Um, these tiny devices typically don't have all the memory or the power or the space. So tiny ML is really, it's a, it's a subset of ML, it's tiny. Everything, the instructions are really small. It's uh, something that can be written in about 10 kilobytes of memory, which really is just a few lines of code. Um, so it just that just does the essence of, of the brain and the actions you want to give it. So if big ML can do huge things and uh, maybe create the brain of a, you know, a five-year-old, tiny ML can create a brain of a one-year-old. So it's only the basic instructions. And it's made for applications that are typically connected, say, say this product was connected to a battery and 
Actually, I'm going to give you a great, great real uh, wildlife preserva- uh, conservation example. There's a company called Adiomath, and what they do is uh, typically they, they get deployed in forestry to listen to birds. And uh, we work with a company that is working with National Geographic to identify a, an extinct bird somewhere in, in Australia. And apparently, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but I think that some hikers uh, reported that they saw a bird that was previously thought to be extinct and they can't find its bird. Nobody can find it. So what they want to do is deploy these audio moth devices. So imagine this is an audio moth and they have put uh, on the device uh, a recording of that bird's sound. And what this device is going to be is going to connect it to say a tree. It's going to have a battery and it's going to sit there and almost like how Amazon Alexa does it. It's only going to listen to one thing. It's going to be turned off the whole time and it's going to only listen for that bird sound. So on a very, very slow and low power, it's going to listen and listen and listen. It's going to do nothing else but listening. And the idea is you're doing that because you want to save the battery life because you can't go and replace the battery every month. This audio moth has to last, say, for five years on a tree. Um, but once, hopefully, it will hear that particular sound, and that's what Tiny Mel does. It gives an instruction that says this, I don't want you to do anything until you hear that one sound. And if it's going to hear that, that one sound of that bird, immediately it's going to power up the entire board, power up the antennas, send a signal to a satellite and, say, and a GPS pin and say, boom, I heard that voice of that bird right here today at 3.45 p.m., and you should send somebody. But, but when he does that, he will deplete the battery because then antennas go up and everything it sucks the power. But it will serve its purpose. So that's what TinyML does. It's for very specific applications that have very, very specific power profiles. Um, and that's how it gets done. So it's pretty magical, you know, things that you couldn't do before. Wow. There are so many different kinds of technologies that are saving animals. TinyML is a great example. And that story was so incredible. Wow. Okay. So, do you believe that technology is the key to saving wildlife and wild spaces? Can you give some examples? I I do believe that technology plays a big part of it. And um, and I'll tell you another thing that, um, another example of things that we're working on and other companies are working on. Um, There's another organization we work on, maybe you know them, uh, Wild Labs. Have you worked with them at all? No, I haven't, but I'll look into them. Okay. Okay, something we should follow up on and introduce you. They're, they're British, uh, English-based, and they are have dedicated the entire uh, being to creating and supporting and sharing technologies that help also the wildlife conservation. And another really good example is they reached out to us recently and they said that they want to create a fellowship to um, and to a paid fellowship for researcher to come in and build and research the next generation of technologies. Uh, across all sorts of wildlife conservation uh, information. It could be, again, about machine learning, about, who knows, uh, feeding habits, um, human-animal conflict, and maybe better ways to think about farming versus wildlife and all that. Um, And then we actually paid this organization uh, about $20,000, which will fund two fellows for one year to go and research anything well not anything they want they have some constraints and specificity that wildlife want them to research but to research a very specific areas in wildlife conservation and produce some sort of a, a white paper 
that people, other people can go and build. So there's a lot of people that are actually investing a lot of time, money and energy of thinking what else is missing from the equation and how do we fund really smart people? Because you know, everybody has to eat and you can just say, Hey, why don't you just go do some research? Well, they also have a rent or mortgage to pay and all that. So it's really cool to see that there's all these ecosystems of private companies and not-for-profit companies coming together and trying to give ways to the smartest people in this field to really build things that are meaningful and important. So, so maybe more elephant edge type of um, initiatives or audio math, as I mentioned, and other will come to life uh, in the future because a lot of private companies are saying, we want to be part of it. We want to contribute. Okay. So earlier you were talking about how they're putting devices in rhinos' horns. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yes. Actually, there's a, there's a guy on our team. His name is Luis. And, um, he actually was somebody, his, his first job was building a uh, rhino trackers, which is incredible. And I just, uh, spent some time with him last week and I asked him and said, tell me, how did you build it? And, um, it was again, very similar. They had an idea that you can embed inside of a rhino's horn, you know, the, uh, tracker. And he used this technology called uh, LoRaWAN. Laura it actually is not a technology, so called SickBox. What it really means is that when you go to an African plane, there's really no internet or really a cellular connection, right, if at all. So they create this network of, they create one cellular antenna somewhere. And then they create this network of repeaters. It's just say uh, this little box with a big battery and an antenna in it that keeps kind of uh, creating like, you know, it's kind of hops from the big antenna. It hops a few miles to another a repeater and then another few miles to another repeater, another few miles to another repeater. And they put, it's almost like routers, wireless routers, and they create a network in a park in, in huge vast areas. And, uh, but they also run very low power and they can only transmit really low data. They're not made for video calls or watching Netflix. It's meant to, put, to pass just just data, just just text, you know? And um, so they build this in a few of these parks. So now they have the ability to transmit information in the park to the main antenna, which will then will go to a major network, right? It could go all over the world. And then he he told me, uh, he they, they used to be back in the day when people took pictures, even though this wasn't that long ago, he only did this a few years ago, um, there used to be these film containers, people that put like the two pictures with like an, an old school film and they were like encapsulating these like black containers. Um, and uh, he somehow stumbled upon a bunch of them because it's just like nobody uses this anymore. And he saw it somewhere and he was, cause he kept thinking what I need some, some piece of plastic or something and maybe I should 3D print it or whatever to put inside of the rhino's horn. Anyways, he figured these things out. He grabbed a few of them. He built a tiny circuit board with that sick box, that repeater uh, antenna that can actually connect to the network. And he built in a coin cell battery in it and the circuit board and also tiny ML to kind of give instructions a little bit about location and all sorts of behavior. And then he filled it up with epoxy glue completely and sealed it. And they will then take down a few rhinos, drill a hole, like a dentist into their uh, horn, put the, that, that plastic container with the circuit board in, 
then they will seal it, just patch it, as if you patch a wall or a tooth. And the only thing you'll see is a little, a little whisker comes out of the rhino and the rhino will walk around the whisker, not even knowing he has a whisker. And he really said to me, he said, it's really difficult. He said, rhinos, are, he said, another thing we didn't think about is where to locate it. He said, rhinos are crazy. They're aggressive. They, they hit each other. They hit trees. They rub their horns everywhere. And he said, they'll break our antennas all the time. So they had to think about it later. Where is the best location to put uh, the antenna when the rhino does what the rhino does, not to break it? So that's also interesting. It's a lot of issues that happen with these animals. They're big animals. They live in the wild. You know, they're not there to play with a little iPhone we implant in their horns or put on the necks. They'll break them. Um, so they had to learn a lot about that. But uh, they deployed, I think, also about to one of about twenty rhinos that um, were able to be tracked. And the good news also because there's really no blood flow into the horn. There's no chance of infection or otherwise. So when the battery eventually dies, it just stays there. And as the horn continues to grow, it sheds itself and just falls out eventually. So that's another really cool example of somebody that work, I do work with today that have done that early in his career. He was in his early 20s when he did this first job out of college. So really cool. Okay. And on the same topic, does this tracker keep the rhino safe from poachers or is it like so like to be able to track the poacher when they get the rhino horn um so it's a good question so typically say if a rhino is is roaming within a protected park even though poachers go into parks you know but sometimes say they will not they'll wait for a rhino to step out of the park and then they'll kill it um so it can help park rangers to say, hey, these rhinos are entering a place or known to poachers, right? There are poachers there. We should go and move them and, 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 and take them away and make sure that they're in a safer place where we can monitor them. So you can monitor where they are through GPS. Um, another thing is monitoring them when they're entering maybe a village or close to entering a village. So human conflict is huge, right? It's really problematic. Uh, or if, yeah, if there were gone down you know so you know that too so theoretically if you're close enough you can go and uh, try to find a poacher or um, recently i actually did a presentation recently about this and um, they recently found an elephant that was shot with a poisoned arrow um, and they found it because uh, something was wrong with, with it right the tracker sends signals that the elephant is in distress has fallen down and the poacher ran away because people drove, started driving in. They managed to take the arrow out, disinfect it, and give it um, an antibody uh, shot and save the animal uh, after the fact that it's been shot. So, yeah, there's amazing pictures of it, too, how it's all done. But the reality is that uh, once a poacher uh, has identified a target and shot it, and it's, maybe they're able to just remove the body part that they want, it's really just too late. It's really hard. These are, you've been there. It's really big, big areas. And somebody can do that so fast and disappear. So it's really, really hard, but it creates a deterrence, right? That now people know when things are happening, they can arrest you really fast. Um, you, you can't just disappear. You are around these animals, these animals being tracked. Therefore, to some extent you are being tracked. They'll know that there's only maybe two roads to this park. 
and they'll try to seal the roads or patrol the area and found somebody who just killed an animal. So um, that's good news because in itself it creates a deterrence. So those trackers, just so you know where the rhino is, and that's actually really cool because they can stop you in wildlife conflict. Okay, so would it be possible for you to contribute a learning lab for Club 15 viewers so kids and teens can really get their hands on this technology? Uh, sure, we'd love to, yes. So we can create a really simple class for anybody um, to start using this technology. And I would even say, if you go to our website, it's edgeimpulse.com. Um, there's a QR code on the homepage. So anybody have a smartphone, whether you have an iPhone or an Android phone, just start open your camera, just like we do this in restaurants now, scan that QR code and it will immediately uh, open our studio. And what it will do is it will use your phone as a device to the first edge device to detect the tiny ML stuff that we discussed. If you move your phone, we'll detect it. You can use the camera as image uh, detection and classification and do all sorts of really cool stuff uh, with your phone as your, the first device to learning uh, embedded machine learning. So it's really easy and I'd love to work with you in building some sort of a class to help anybody uh, uh, learn it even better. Yes, thank you so much, Adam. I look forward to working with you. And I think TinyML is so amazing. So if kids could really learn how to build it and you know more about what it does, that's incredible. Thank you so much for this. Okay, so now, do you think kids my age can learn this technology now so we can start inventing things to mend the earth before it's too late? What can Club 15 viewers to do now to get started learning? Absolutely, yes. I think that kids today can absolutely learn this technology, really enjoy it and build some really, really cool stuff. And it's really it's just free to get started and build stuff, and particularly with Edge Impulse. And there's so many other tools. Um, also, you know, Microsoft has this amazing tool called Lobe.ai. Lobe.ai. You should look into that as well. It's really, really cool and fun and easy. And Google have has a bunch of tools. I forgot the name of their tool, but they have an amazing um, uh, product as well that help people do machine learning and, and computer vision. And I want to mention that Make Magazine this month, this is May 2021, has a special about machine learning and embedded machine learning and TinyML. And this guy's name is uh, Benjamin Cabe, and he built this really cool artificial nose that can actually smell and detect smells even uh, and sense and do all sorts of cool stuff. So um, he really has a full-on set of instructions of how to make, how to use TinyML, how to get started and how to build, you know, almost like second senses uh, right here. And he gives you a full set of instructions of how to do this. Um, a really affordable hardware from Seed Studio that you can actually uh, order and build some really, really, really cool stuff. And um, yeah, I think you really enjoy it. It's a fun project, really easy to do, full instructions, and it's all available right here on Make Magazine. So I think uh, you should definitely check it out and you'd love it. Definitely, that sounds really cool. And Adam, that was my last question. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody click on the links below to Edge Impulse and learn more about his Project Elephant Edge. Adam, everything you do with technology and saving animals is incredible. Thank you so much for joining us today.
Cool. Excellent. Thank you, Kate. It's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, what you do is really inspiring. And I think that you are going to make real impact on this world. So I, as a human on this planet, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Let's go.